This is Brian Bailey, Chief Marketing and Experience Officer with Metro Inclusive Health. You're listening to Inclusivity and Beyond, subjects that impact the health and wellness of our community. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Inclusivity and Beyond, the podcast by Metro Inclusive Health. We're recorded live on Facebook and YouTube. I'm Brian Bailey, the Chief Marketing Experience Officer at Metro Inclusive Health. I use he, him, his pronouns. Tonight's episode is talk therapy, medication, or both, finding your mental health toolkit. Uh, of our many, one of our many focused conversations focused on the health and wellness of our community. Today, we're discussing how Therapy and medications can be combined for the best mental health outcomes. Uh, Just a reminder that this conversation is uh, considered a safe space. As we dive in, please feel free to post your questions. We can't address specifics in a venue like this, but we can certainly address more general inquiries. On that note, I am joined by two distinguished Metro Metro health, mental health experts, uh, Carolyn Redman, uh, behavioral health expert with Metro, Metro Inclusive Health, and Susan Lewis, a physician's assistant specializing in psychiatric meds management, which we're talking about tonight. Thank you. Welcome, and thank you for joining me. Uh, how are you guys doing? Good. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, there's nothing better to be doing in a uh, global pandemic world on a Friday night at around six o'clock than joining a live conversation on Facebook and hoping that we're uh, making the world a better place by through our conversation and information. I want to get right into it. Um, when the pandemic initially set in, I did a podcast with uh, Metro's Director of Behavioral Health, Laura Rosenbooth, who said to me, uh, and I quote, Most of us could benefit from a little talk therapy every now and then. So let's first establish the difference between talk therapy and psychiatric meds management. If I can, ask Susan, can you just give us a brief overview of what the two are and the difference between the two and how they can work together? Sure. Um, Well, with psychiatric medication, uh, we're looking at uh, helping to... control, alleviate some of the symptoms of uh, a mental health disorder um, that is used um, to address the different struggles that occur, things like insomnia, a low mood, uh, anxiety, and trying to treat them on a chemical level. Um, Whereas with um, talk therapy, uh, actually Carolyn could explain that a little bit better. <laughs> sure, sure. Carolyn, go ahead. Uh, talk therapy is about learning about yourself, what increases your symptoms of probably sadness or anger, whatever negative feeling you're going through, and finding ways that will um, help you individually to manage those symptoms and get through day-to-day life. All right. Okay. That makes sense. So we know from our own experience at Metro um, that behavioral health or mental health services have really been somewhat in demand since the pandemic began. Um, There's certainly a lot of stress around coronavirus. Now that's compounded by the economy and uh, job security and certainly discussions around race relations. Um, 
we really kind of at Metro re remain one of the few places that I can find in my own research that sort of combine the both under one roof. Um, on that note, should people be open to the idea that meds may be included in their therapy program? And what are some of the clues that they might benefit from that combination? Well, I think with, um, with our patients coming in, um, sometimes they're already in, sometimes I'll see them when they've, they've already uh, been with the therapist and I've been referred. Uh, other times they're just struggling an awful lot and maybe uh, they have tried therapy and it didn't completely work. Um, I think recognizing that they're struggling, uh, they're having symptoms where their mood has changed, um, having difficulty functioning in day-to-day -day, uh, life activities, um, and they're reaching out for something maybe different. Maybe they've been exercising, they've been sleeping, they've been talking to friends, it's not working. Um, so I think kind of life struggles are starting to mount and then they might turn to uh, psychiatric medications to consider psychiatric medications. The visit that we have or the initial visit we have is really a consultation to see if medications are appropriate. Mm -hmm. So that goes with what um, eventually, so when you say initial consultation, is that what they call technically the psychiatric evaluation? Yes, it is. So that's a term that could be a little scary to people, right? You know, psychiatric evaluation. So let's break it down. And, you know, I think you broke it down really easily saying it's basically a consultation. But what does that look like? Why should somebody not be really worried about the idea of a psychiatric evaluation? Okay. It's almost like being, you know, like I, you hear that it's like you think from the movies, right? It's one flew over the cuckoo's nest. It's like, <laughs> does that mean I'm going to be committed? You know, what does it mean exactly? It, it actually is, is a way to get to know a person to see what they might need. And that's really basically the, the focus. Um, when we meet, we, we go over medical history to begin with. Are there any medications they're currently taking? Any, any, medical disorders that might be influencing their mental health. What has their past been like? Have they been treated for um, mental health disorders? Have they been hospitalized for that in the past? Um, what kind of social influences may be affecting their mood um, from maybe recent stressors or recent loss? Um, going into um, family history, did your mom, did your dad, brother, sister uh, have mental health struggles? Um, and then looking at the current symptoms that they might be presenting with, uh, are they having depression, anxiety, trouble sleeping, mood swings, trouble focusing? Um, and then putting that together with uh, talking about um, a, a plan for care, um, whether it's medication, therapy, if that's appropriate, um, and also maybe doing some screening tests, like uh, a few lab tests to look at maybe vitamin deficiencies, um, some baseline labs that might be necessary for, for particular medications that might be chosen. Uh, once in a while, we need to get an EKG to look at a normal heart function to use medication safely. Um, and sometimes we might pick up um, something like a vitamin deficiency or a thyroid test that's actually influencing their mental health as well. Yeah, I want to. I want to come back to that in a second, talking about the meds specifically, because uh, you mm -hmm. said it's really interesting there. But first, I wanted to ask Carolyn. You know, so 
we've seen situations here, you know, we, we talk about starting with a psychiatric evaluation. It doesn't have to start that way. I mean, someone could start with talk therapy and then Carolyn, have you ever been in a situation where someone starts out that way and then they, then you're, you, you kind of realize that maybe they would benefit from the medication side as well? Absolutely. Um, we always keep an open mind that, hey, we're, we're, we're working here to talk through it. Let's find some techniques. Um, eventually, as therapists, you know, we're constantly assessing. So there will be a point that we have to sit with the client and say, hey, we try a to z or x or whatever and it's, it seems like it's not working there's something more since you're still under stress maybe we should um you know let's talk to suzanne let's talk to a provider to see if medication is appropriate for you that way it balances your moods out and then you're able to focus on our session and obtain and retain all the information that we are talking about so that you can use those techniques all right. So a lot of times it's really about um, the meds can honestly sort of lead to a better focus on the actual talk therapy itself. So the better results comes out of the counseling. It's not just necessarily. So, so Susan, on that note, where is there a situation where meds don't require talk therapy? I mean, is there, do, do they not need to go hand in hand or do you find that the case is mostly where they do go hand in hand? Um, well, studies show that the combination of medication and therapy combined, as well as other uh, improved health habits, can really make a significant difference. Um, there would there could be situations though where um, uh, therapy isn't necessary if um, there's uh, that the people aren't really having any issues or anything that's influencing their mental health. Um, uh, in their personal life and their professional life, but um, I, I find probably eighty percent of the time uh, the combination of the two, the outcome is the best. Right. Yeah. Well, and, I find and it's necessary. I go back to that. You know, like I said earlier on, Laura, Laura our director of behavioral health, said everybody can benefit from a little talk therapy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Certainly. Um, uh, so, so getting back, I, I, I just want to jump back to one thing you you said that kind of struck me. Improved health habits is a part of this. What does that look like? Well, I think sometimes when people are struggling with mental health problems. Um, neglect their health habits, um, the personal care, um, exercise, getting good rest, eating healthy, removing some toxic things, whether it's it's news or people. Um, yeah. Struggles at their job, whatever, whatever it could be. Um, so uh, I think looking at the whole picture of someone's life and what's going on with them is really important. So it really is the whole package. So, um, so on that note too, medication. A lot of times when we hear about medications, I think a lot of people think the narcotic route, right? And so, you know, I, I come to mind as, you know, Adderall, uh, you know, Vivance, things so focused around ADHD. But narcotics is very little if anything, of what we do, we don't really focus on narcotics. So, what are the what are the drugs that look like? And when I say narcotics, I want to be specific about that. They are controlled substances, so in essence, they have to be heavily monitored. Is that right? Right, right. But um, this is that's more pain management that the narcotics would be uh, in, into play. 
Um, I, I, I did want to say um, with, uh, with medication, um, it, it, medication for psychiatric medication, you have to look at what a mental health disorder is. Um, it is a disease. And you have, I, I try to talk to my patients when they're a little hesitant about taking medication. Looking at your mental health disorder is something that's in, you need care mm-hmm. to diabetes. Um, would the, would, you know, you, without the insulin, you'll continue to suffer with diabetes. Um, without medication, you may continue to suffer uh, with depression whatever the illness is. Um, so as far as medication goes, uh, there's been a lot of research and, and wonderful new medications that have come about. Um, it's nothing is a, always going to be a, a true match for anyone. You, it's everyone is, you know, we're colorful people. And, um, uh, so we had, there's a combination of medications to use and to consider. Um, uh, so antidepressants um, have been uh, adjusted and and actually um, well advertised. So a lot of folks, when they, they, they've heard of their medication, they've seen the advertisement. It'll be on Prevention Magazine when they're standing at Publix to look at something to read. So there's been a, a lot of good, um, uh, a lot of, uh, there's been a, a lot of progress when it comes to antidepressants and least amount of sex, side effects, including sexual side effects, fatigue, kind of the brain fog that people are concerned about. Mm-hmm. Um, the antidepressants are things like Zoloft, Prozac, Paxil, Effexor, um, and some of the newer medications. Those are probably the medication that we use the most at, in, in my practice. Uh, depression is very significant. Uh, and, uh, you know, about 20% of people will have some sort of influence, whether personally or, or within their loved ones, uh, to have a, a mental health uh, disorder or uh, someone that's affected by it. Um, as far as anxiety medications goes, um, we did, there was a time period where um, the benzodiazepines were being used um, and uh, that no longer is the case. Um, uh, we found that there's some uh, memory problems and addiction issues. So we do use alternatives that are very helpful for anxiety as well. And sometimes the antidepressants uh, are very uh, effective in also treating uh, anxiety. Um, we also have mood stabilizers for people that have um, bipolar disorder and sometimes severe depression. Um, those medications are very uh, successful um, and very well needed and can change someone's life. Um, those mood stabilizers can also be used for people that have anger or um uh, have uh, adjustment issues. Yeah. There's many different types of mental illness, but these are basically the most common. And then uh, issues that can be treated with non-stimulants very successfully um, if needed. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a basic rundown. 
So uh, on that note, um, how much, you know, how much does family history or genetics really play into this? Yeah, it, it is very common. Um, it, it is very common. Uh, a lot of folks, I'll, you know, will say they, I'm, I'm just like my mom. I'm just like my dad. Um, family genetics are, are way heavy in. Um, but there's other things as well. Uh, what's going on with the social life, the, the family, the partner life. Um, financial, uh, the the struggles going through something like that's going on through now, such a volatile time. So many things influence, but yes, family history is very heavy and very important. Yeah. But, yeah. So uh, you were talking about what's going on now certainly amplifies it. I mean, we're, I mean, you know, I, I, I can't think of another time I've been more anxious or on edge or, you know, it's becoming the new normal, as they say, uh, in our lives right now. You know, um, Carolyn, I'm just kind of curious, like, you know, from what we're seeing with the intake, obviously behavioral health has been pretty busy uh, in Metro since this has all started. Uh, you know, what are you seeing? What are you think? What are you seeing as people's most concerns? What's most on people's minds? Do they just not know how to, to cope? Do they just need somebody to talk to? Is it deeper than that? What, what are the biggest concerns you're seeing? Right now, um, all of us um, are, we're getting at least half our caseload on EAP program, which is, you know, the employer assistance program we get a certain amount of sessions to come and talk to someone to determine if you actually need therapy or if it's going to be helpful or not so we're getting a lot of those um due to having uh adjustment issues at work because the level of stress is so high due to covid and all the regulations and should i be at work am i going to get infected um what am i going to do my family i lost my job or my hours were cut um you know and, and the employer gives them that help to go and see someone. Um, a lot of them are coming just in case. I wanna prepare myself just in case it gets worse and I have these coping skills. These are clients that have been in therapy before and they have um, they have experienced a good um, expect for them. You know, they've got something good for, for from therapy. So they have decided, hey, I'm gonna go see someone and talk to someone and process things that are happening and see where it's coming from. Um, due to recent events with rise and things like that, I have had a lot of, we have had a lot of clients that um, have been okay when it comes to their path trauma, but all this is triggering now, It's they're being triggered. So past experiences are coming back again and symptoms are coming back and they don't know how to cope because they haven't needed to cope for a long time. Mm -hmm. And they're finding themselves isolating, they're finding themselves um, losing energy, not being as motivated as before. Um, and just fearful that they're gonna go into a hole and not be able to come back. So they wanna make sure they have someone to talk to so they don't reach that point. Right, that's very, very interesting. So um, preventative almost. And this yes. is from people who have experienced some sort of therapy in the past before. So mm -hmm. what what would you, and you say triggers, you know, what would you say to somebody who is, has not experienced therapy in the past before, but maybe also are having some of those signs, you know, like is there, is there the basic warning? Is there something that can say, hey, you know what, now it's time for me to pick up the phone and maybe seek a little help. And, and maybe we should even explain a little bit what EAP is, because a lot of people might not know that I even exists under their own current situation. 
Well, AAP is just a program that usually all employers have that they give you a certain amount of session depending on their insurance. It could be three to four sessions, sometimes eight, depending on what's going on. Um, and it's free services that your employer pays for. Um, you have to go through, through whatever um, phone number they give you through your HR department, and then they'll link you up with a provider. Um, and the list of providers, usually my name comes up a lot. <laughs> so I have a lot of, lot of, I have a lot of AAP clients right now. Um, you know, a lot of the things, a lot of the symptoms that client expressed to us and why they came when they never have come to therapy before is, um, I'm finding myself sleeping a lot or overeating a lot. Um, I'm finding myself being very irritable and angry, and I don't know why. Why am I snapping at my kids? Why am I snapping at my husband? And I think about it, and I feel like I'm going nuts, like I'm going crazy. And so I figure, you know, let me go talk to someone about this. Um, some of them have even admitted that I have noticed that I'm drinking a little bit too much and I'm not feeling comfortable with this. Mm. Yes. Um, well, we all know that alcohol sales have gone through the roof since pandemic. Yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. And, you know, and I, I kind of wonder if that's a combination between being just bored at home or if people are trying to cope in that way. So recognizing the signs are important and prevention is not necessarily prevention in this case being good you know mental health not being in a bad situation uh prevention does not mean you mean that you have to have experienced counseling or therapy before it's recognizing that hey i'm feeling a little bit off in this program i mean that's great i mean a lot of people should find out if those programs exist and take advantage of it now is a better time than ever. i mean you know the employer is you have insurance, you might as well use it, right? Mm -hmm. That's why I was saying, you know, you said something uh, trigger. It was something I had written down on my, uh, my, my list to ask tonight. It was we hear a lot about that word trigger. What do we define as a trigger? And is that, is that really an appropriate word, trigger? I mean, you know, what, what, what is defined as a trigger? Like, you know, what, what does a trigger look like? Trigger is a clinical word that everyone is using. Oh, wow. It's clinical. Okay. Got it. Okay. Good. Everyone is using it. sounds your... like slang, right? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, all of a sudden it became very popular between teenagers. I'm being triggered. Yes. Um, personally, I, I don't really appreciate it because it's, it's something that we use to show that, hey, this is serious. This is really serious. It's not something that is just, you know, oh, it's, it's up in the air. It's a serious situation. Something in your environment is creating a stimulus within you to react a certain way that you might not normally act. And a trigger could be anything, especially for someone who has trauma history, and trauma could be anything. It could be from a certain smell, from someone saying something that reminded them of something else. It could be from someone being next to you and doing a very startled response and you getting scared. You know, it's something, it's any indication internally or externally that creates a negative feeling within you that might stick with you for a long period of time and that you might not be able to cope or it might last for a couple of seconds, but it still evokes some kind of negative effect in your body. Mm -hmm. And if you're, constantly, if you're constantly going through that over and over and over again, it does affect your body in a medical way. In a medical way, that's interesting. So what would, what would be an example of how it affects you in a medical way? 
um, lack of sleep, not being able to sleep, insomnia, um, heart issues, high blood pressure, headaches, tension. That's very, very interesting. So you bring up the idea that high blood pressure uh, or you know insomnia and that sort of thing. We get back to that whole idea of genetics, but really, um, you know, I think that a lot of people suffer from lack of sleep, right? So you may just think, well, that's just normal. Most Americans don't sleep very well. But and the truth is, it may actually be a result of triggers, right? <laughs> you know, uh, and, and recognizing that has got to be the most important. So, so um, with the whole idea that there's light at the end of the tunnel, right? And 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 hopefully, with all the mess that's going on now, we'll see some light at the end of the tunnel. And and in the case of a vaccine, hopefully, in the near future. But you know, until then, what what does a success story look like, even professionally from your own experience? Someone who has um, maybe entered therapy and has not quite uh, maximized it, and then uh, the medication has maybe been added to that, and and has had a really full circle result as a as as a part of that. Um, success could be it all depends on the client, really, and where the client's at. So. It's Success for a therapist and a client could be as little or small, which would be big to them, as being able to get out of bed and clean their dishes, to being able to brush their hair, to actually leaving the house and walking and getting the mail in the mailbox. It could be that now, throughout the process of therapy, they're able to meet with us not every week, but every other week or once a month or or once every um, three months or something like that. Um, you know, success could be that in session they have actually used our coping skills that we've been discussing without even the, without them realizing it, and we're able to point, hey, did you realize that you, deep, you just use deep breathing here, mm -hmm. um, or hearing them talk about you know their goals of this is what I've been able to do since I started here. Um, and it goes back and forth. Everyone's so different. Mm -hmm. Susan, I would kind of want to ask you the same question. Sure. Well, um, when people are struggling with their mental health, um, they have they have changes and and significant distress in their thinking, their feeling, their behavior, um, and this can lead to difficulty functioning in all aspects of their life. Um, so once patient, a patient comes in and um, has uh, started sleeping, uh, started engaging uh, back with their friends and family, uh, actually maybe like to go back to work again, um, they're improved their self-care, they, they kind of, um, the distress is gone. Uh -huh. And that's, that's the goal. So can we demystify, uh, I want to get back to the whole idea of uh, now that we've talked about it and maybe take a little bit of the fear of it, let's demystify the term psychiatric evaluation a little bit. What, what, what does that, you know, what, what does it look like? I, I'm, I want to come back to it because I still think that that's maybe one of those, oh, no, I don't need that. But, yeah. you know, what, 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 is, what does the psychiatric evaluation really look like? What is a couple of questions, you know? Um, I think it's... It's just um, sitting down with someone and getting to know someone and what are their struggles all about. And, and then finding out where those struggles might have come from, how they appeared in their life in the past, 
and now are they are they resurfacing again or is this something new but just an opportunity to sit down and and talk about all the different aspects that they might be struggling with um, and then coming up with some suggestions some opportunities for change um, some opportunities for medication to make a difference um, it, it actually isn't scary most people are very relieved when they finish up but they some people do come in very very anxious about it very nervous about it um, but most of the time at the end of the visit there's just a big sense of release relief and and some and hope yeah you and i had talked about a little bit the other day you know I, that there's uh sometimes a stigma behind taking medication but that sort of has not that it's not as bad as it used to be. Why do you think that is? Well, um, like I said before, like Prevention Magazine, yeah, <laughs> television, and the other thing that's really wonderful, and it's I've really seen it change because I've seen I was I was in the office when Zoloft appeared at the door thirty years ago, and I think people the difference today is people talk about their mental health. It's not such a taboo. Um, people share their feelings. Oh, I take that too. Or, oh, I struggle with that. And knowing that you're not alone and someone else that's close to you when you're sharing like that uh, just is so soothing and and gives people hope. Oh, they've been through that before. So I think the, the fact that we open up more today and, and don't hesitate to talk about our, our problems, um, I think that's really key. Yeah. That's interesting. So it really is, uh, you know, it's just becoming a little bit more accepting of the idea. And we do talk a lot more about mental health than I think we ever used to as a society, which is probably long, long overdue. Absolutely. So, you know, and, and, and one of the things is like, you know, in this area of meds management, like I said, you know, when I did some research and having worked at Metro for a while, it seems like there very much is, there, there's two, um, there, there is really psychiatric help, and then there's counseling. But it's very, very little, um, very little uh, examples of where they both kind of come together, like they do at Metro. I think as we do. Why do you think that is? Why do you think there's not? We don't see more of that partnership in in more of the public uh, or or in the private uh, counseling world. Um, well, what's unique about Metro is we have such a fantastic, diverse staff of talented people that, yeah. that, um, that we are, I, I will call Carolyn and I'll talk to her about the shared patient. Um, Carolyn might meet with the, the therapist that's running the group that our patient goes to. Um, and we just have this, you know, so many opportunities to improve your mental health between the groups, therapists, medication, um, support for um, substance use. Um, so I think we're unique mm -hmm. and, and, and uh, we can touch on many of the needs that a patient has rather than having to go outside to different offices. I think, I think talking into that and adding into it, I don't think people understand that in order in order to normalize and to get the best benefit in treatment for your mental health, it's not only met, um, taking medication or seeing a therapist or both or either or. It's really having a holistic 
treatment team, and that includes your family, and that includes your provider, includes everyone that you are in contact with. A lot of our clients might come and they're taking psychiatric medication in another agency, and they come here for therapy, and they're very resistant in providing us with uh, release of information so we can coordinate care. In order for us to be able to identify symptoms of change, or I might be seeing something that the psychiatrist might not be seeing, we need to talk to each other to get the best results ever. And I think that's why it works so well in Metro is because we're constantly talking to each other. So if Susan says, um, see something that I might not be, I've not seen in session, because people behave differently depending on the day and the season and how the weather is outside. Mm -hmm. you know, it is, it, it is shown <laughs> that it's like that. So someday they're doing good, someday they're doing bad. They might share something with me that they might not share with, Susan, or vice versa, and in order to make sure that we're providing the best care, we need to talk to each other. Um, and I think normalizing that to the client in any setting is the best, the best for the client. That's very interesting. I always, I always say, you know, one of my great uh, uh, things I like to talk about Metro is, you know, in addition to behavioral health services, we also do so many other things like primary care and HRT and counseling and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's it, my uh, my biggest selling point is that you only have to really do your paperwork once. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lord knows, going to every time you go to a doctor's office, there's at least six sheets you got to fill out, right? Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, Carolyn, you talked about, and you both kind of talked on this a little bit. Um, is the groups that we offer? Can we talk a little bit about the groups that we do at Metro and 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 how they fit into the process? Sure. Um, and what? And also a little bit of like how? Why is group therapy as important as talk therapy? In some cases. Group therapy is a, it's a way of um, being around the same type of individuals that, that to normalize your symptoms, to get a feedback from them. Um, hey, yeah, I'm, I've gone through that. I've experienced that. And have you tried talking to, to your therapist about this? Or, um, you know, back in the days, I, I experienced this and this is what I did. It's more of helping each other instead of the facilitator, which would be myself and another therapist, tell them what to do. It's really seeing what they've learned in individual session or in other groups, and they're supporting each other and teaching each other those those skills. Got it. Um, groups at Metro, we have so many, depending on whatever program you're you're in. But when it comes to behavioral health, again, depending on whatever program you are enrolled in, um, we have groups for mental health and individuals who are um, infected with HIV or AIDS. We have groups for substance use. Um, we have groups for learning to cope, and we have groups for substance use and trauma. So um, it depends again on the program you're enrolled in and what you're in metro for. If it's strictly mental health, or it's co-occurring disorder, which is mental health, and uh, another um, if it's substance use or like depression or PTSD or bipolar disorder. Got it. And in in the trans uh, youth group. And a, yeah, and a youth group, and a her, I mean, we have so many depending on yeah. yes, the yes. program. And that that's a in. great thing because my goodness, the trans community has really taken a beating in the last uh, yeah. year for sure, and and then some. Um, you had mentioned substance abuse, and I just wanted to ask that: Do you find substance or substance misuse, as we we address it, uh, do you find that substance misuse is a result of not addressing mental health? 
or is it the other way around that it results in poor mental health or is it go both ways? That's like asking what came from the chicken or the egg. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's a never ended debate between everyone. It all depends. Mm-hmm. I, um, professionally, I profess, professionally don't really focus on which one came first. I like to just focus on like, these are the symptoms, this is what's happening, the behavior is taking place. How can we help you get to the right direction? Um, if we, we cannot ignore one, and focus on the other one, it's not going to work. Right. Um, if you fo- if you have mental illness and you just focus on substance use, you s- it's you might still use because you don't you haven't taken care of the mental illness and right. or vice versa. So it's always good to try to find a provider that is willing to work on on being holistic and okay, let's let's make a plan on working on, on both diagnoses and see where it goes. But so at the end of the day. Yeah, they they are, it's a symptom at the end of the day. Yes. Either and, way you look at it. Correct. And um, my belief. And, you know, there are going to be times, though, that we will have to pay attention to one or the other, depending on the severity of it. So let's say someone is severely addicted to a certain substance like opiates or meth, which are very, very um, dangerous and a high risk of inventors and a high risk of ODing we have to make sure that the patient is stabilized before we try to take care of anything else because they might die if they continue using the substance. Mm, mm, mm. On that note, I want to talking about opioids again, there's that sort of narcotic uh, angle of it. Is there, um, does that impact Susan putting people on medications? If someone is an opioid, uh, you know, I mean, is there concern about putting people on medications if they've been in an opioid or substance misuse situation? Um, with opiates, um, you never use the benzodiazepines. Um, and I mean, that's another reason never to use, um, the benzodiazepines freely. Um, but it's absolutely necessary to treat mental health, um, no matter what you're coming into the office with. Um, if you have a, a substance use disorder, you, you still have a mental health disorder that could be fr- from from the uh, substance use or it could be something that's been uh, ongoing. Um, so treating the whole person, um, whether substance use is a problem or whether it isn't, is just something that has to happen. Is it, in the cases of substance misuse, do we often find that that is an attempt at self-medication? Absolutely. Yeah, sometimes, yeah. Yeah. And and how much, I mean, you know, we were kind of tongue-in-cheek about alcohol, but, you know, we talk about opioids, but, like, how much alcohol uh, it, it, it plays into that, too? You know, I mean, how much do you guys see of that? An awful lot. Mm-hmm. An awful lot. You know, it's, it's, it's always there. Mm-hmm. It's always a social thing to do. Um, but, and actually with COVID, there's been a, a very high increase with uh, alcohol rates uh, uh, in, you know, use in, uh, in the community for coping and for, you know, you know, unemployed and hanging out at home and staying up late and stuff like that. Um, yeah. I, it's been difficult. I mean, Idle I hands, know. right? Excuse that's me? The, yeah. Idle hands, that's the expression, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
Now you, you, you brought up something there, uh, particularly among youth. Among the uh, pandemic and you know all the stresses that we're living in right now, are you seeing an increase in any certain age group or is it across the board or where are we seeing the most need for um, focusing on mental health right now? I think it's everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely everyone. Mm -hmm. what, are the, uh, what are the ages that we're actually addressing at, at uh, Metro? Because I know we don't do pediatrics, but do we do uh, um, mental health for youth? I see. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, we do. Um, for therapy, um, depending on the therapist, it's 13 and up or 16 and up. But we do have a couple of therapists that are four to four and up, four years old. And oh, wow. Up. Okay. Um, yeah. So we, we definitely um, have those services, depending again on the therapist and, and their expertise and the, and the reason why they're seeking therapy. Got it. And I see, um, I see um, individuals 16 years and up. Um, so, got it. Um, on that note, too, obviously, uh, Metro's or as an organization, the roots are in HIV. So um, far back as 1992. So by default, we have a somewhat of an old uh, and long-standing connection to the LGBTQ plus community. How important is it to find a therapist or to ask that question if you're out there, if a therapist is LGBTQ plus affirming? How important that is that if you're a member of that community? Um, it's, it's very important um, because you want to make sure that whoever you're talking to, you have connection, you build rapport with, and that they, they have understanding what it is you're going through. Um, certain, you know, certain symptoms are same all around, but you need to certain individuals depending on their culture, their community, how they identify or don't identify. Um, so it is very important because you want to make sure that whoever you're you're talking to, they are able to put themselves in your shoes and, and guide you in the right direction. Yeah. And, and we also, I think everyone at Metro chooses to work at Metro. Yes. Uh, want to work with our, our population in need. And, 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 and I think uh, patients feel that. I think they do as well. Do you yeah. see any uh, certain issues or um, I don't know if conditions is the right word, but uh, effects happening in the LGBTQ plus community that are specific to that community? I mean, I'm certainly, like we talked earlier, the trans community is certainly taking uh, a little bit of a, um, uh, seems to be a bit of a punching bag of recently, uh, recent um, among this administration. But uh, I'm just wondering if you guys are, can see anything that uh, the community is, is being hit for among this. I, I, I just feel like uh, our, the community is emotionally taxed. Um, mm -hmm. They, they, you know, there's all these layers of, 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 I don't know what to call them. Yeah, it's heavy. <laughs> it's heavy, but, right? But, yeah. but, but there's additional uh, constant stress going on for our for the LGBTQ community and trans community. I mean, everyone is, they're, they're feeling it. Mm -hmm. and 
there's definitely, I mean, in the community, there's always been that you know, anxiety disorder and social anxiety, um, you know, depending on what you're there for, other symptoms, but a lot is, is a lot of it is that anxiety, that fear-based anxiety of, oh my God, am I going to be attacked today? What am I going to do? Um, should I leave my house? Or not? Who can I trust? Who can I not trust? So yeah, that has definitely increased. That is always been high, but now it's more than high. Do you um, think it? Yeah. Do you think it's compound? You know, I mean, uh, I can say by experience, gay men are typically very social. Do you think it's compounded by the fact that we just can't get out of the damn house and have fun with our friends? It could be so many factors. I mean, yeah. it, it could be. Yeah, I, I, I find I that. Have, I have found with, uh, certain clients that, yeah, they're they're like, that, I, that's how they distress. You know, because a lot, lot of times, yeah. I mean, a lot of times if, if you grow, if you're in that community, your family is your chosen family. It's not necessarily mm -hmm. the family you grew up with, right? And right. so, in a situation like this, it's a, it makes it a little bit more uh, difficult to be, you know, exposed to them. And, and I always think, what about, you know, and obviously I would be remiss if we didn't talk about this a little bit, but what about race? What about things happening in our Hispanic and African-American and black communities? Um, are they, I mean, I think, I think that's probably where a lot of the stigma around mental health still really exists. Are we seeing specific issues among that community? Are we seeing more acceptance of behavioral health services in those communities? I feel that there's still a struggle and they're only coming when they really have no other choice within themselves where it's impacting when they see that this really is putting a halt into their lives. So it's, it, they're not really coming as pre um, preventative care, but more of like, you know what? Last, a month ago, I was able to build a house and today I'm in bed in my feet, in the position because I can't move because I'm having all these flashbacks of events that happened a long time ago due to all these riots and other past trauma that I've experienced. So it, it now is complex trauma. There's trauma upon trauma upon trauma, and, and it's hard for them to even feel like they could breathe. Um, so yeah, they're coming now. Um, a, a lot of the times, I, I can still see their fear of coming and being able to open up and, and admit that hey, I'm I am going through this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Susan, what about you? Are you seeing any of that? Yeah, absolutely. Safety. It's, mm -hmm. it's it's about safety. It, it, people aren't feeling safe, and uh, and that's a shame, is. right? I mean, it's a shame because uh -huh. the resources is there, and you know, mm -hmm. I, I like to say, uh, you know, I did want to talk a little bit about how Metro works, uh, and, and in particular with uh, insurance. I mean, obviously, this is something we take insurance for, but we also pride ourselves on being an organization whereby we. You know, I like to steal a line from Bernie Sanders. We believe that healthcare is a right, not a privilege. Mm -hmm. And so uh, if you need it, we have a sliding scale fee with just a little bit of proof. Um, but you know, uh, if you need it, we're not gonna turn anybody away. We're pretty good about that. I think that's a great thing about our organization. But on that note, I've also heard, and particularly Susan in the area of meds management, it is very difficult 
apparently to get an appointment with a psychiatrist or in a or any sort of psychiatric um, evaluation and and I think we've worked it out where we're we're, we're uh, I think it works well with the mix between the talk therapy and and uh, what you do as far as the the meds management so we can sort of uh, combine resources but why is it so hard for people to get help in this area you think in general is it just a, a lack of resources or what's happening I, I best guess is possible too i think that not a lot of people go into mental health um i think that's a problem um so today there's more physician assistants and nurse practitioners going into mental health to help with that. And, and that's similar to what happened with primary care where, you know, it, PAs and, and nurse practitioners are kind of filling in the gaps, thank goodness. Um, so, so I think, um, yeah, I, I think that that's, that's part of the problem. The, the other thing I did want to mention is I know people will be uh, concerned about the cost of a visit, but they're also, they also might be concerned about the cost of medications. And that's something that is always taken into consideration. Um, we, we use um, different pharmacies that have discounts. We also use things like GoodRx um, to make it affordable. Um, so it, it, you know, as far as looking at the cost for care, um, we work with you. There's a way to get it done. Yep. Sure. And Metro has certainly made that possible. And, you know, and, and we owe that a lot to the patients that are insured, right? Because they contribute to our copay it forward program, which I'm very proud of. Uh, you know, insured patients come in the door and they get their services and their medications from us. And because of our status, uh, we get a little bit of uh, uh, of the profit from some of those uh, medications. I like to say we make the insurance and the pharmacy company or the pharmaceutical companies work a little harder uh, so we can give it back to the community. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think the last, last year in 2019, the number was like $435,000 that Metro wow. was able to provide in services to the community because largely because of insured patients that use our services. So keep that in mind if you're looking for a doctor. Yeah. Um, so, so let's just kind of go back. You know, I want to, I think we can, uh, we've, we've been going for about an hour now and I don't want to go on too much longer. Um, but I wanted to just open it up and, and ask if, if there's anything you guys uh, wanted to point out or discuss or bring up or, or something you thought that our audience might be interested in hearing about in this, in this subject. I, I wanted to talk about uh, suicide, suicide prevention. This is a very difficult time for so many people. Um, and uh, being aware of what should I do? I, I'm, I'm feeling suicidal. It, it's happening in the moment. And um, there is the National Suicide Prevention uh, uh, Lifeline. It's a toll-free number. Um, it is uh, 1-800-273-TALK. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's available to everyone. Uh, they have um, a service for deaf and hard of hearing. Um, it is free and it's confidential. Um, that's a... a a very important number to, to remember. Also, if suicidal thoughts and plans occur 
And if you feel like you need urgent care, please go to the nearest emergency room where it, it means that you'll be assessed. It doesn't mean that you're absolutely gonna be hospitalized. You've got a, a mental health team that will be at the emergency room to listen to you and to take care of you, whatever your needs might be. But please don't hesitate to get care. Uh, it is available, someone's available to talk with on the talk line and every emergency room is staffed with mental health people that can take care of you. That's interesting, I didn't know that. So is this the case in most hospitals? hospitals? Yep, absolutely. Wow. That's very interesting to know. So uh, pick up the phone, get some help, help as possible. So uh, the prevention hotline, visiting urgent care or visiting emergency room are all options if you have suicidal thoughts. Is that right? Is that what I'm getting? Okay, yeah. good. So if someone is interested in uh, taking this therapy level and, and is listening to us or listens to this podcast after it's been posted on the channels and they're ready to start, um, and let's say they're ready to start with Metro or anybody, what's the first step? They can, they can call us our office in San P or, or in Tampa and just tell them that, hey, I want to um, schedule an appointment for therapy or med management or both. They can also go on our website and send us an email to the behavioral health team, which I personally get and I personally will answer <laughs> to, really? to um, get them scheduled with, with um with a therapist, um, if they have insurance, the scheduling team will get a hold of them to verify insurance or any method of payment. Um, and then this, they're scheduled for an intake. The intake is basically, you know, they have to fill out consent to be treated. They have to um, fill out consent to contact, just be regular, you know. Normal paperwork. Paperwork, and then, you know, they meet with us, with a therapist. And we do uh, an assessment, just like Suzanne, Susan does, um, basically asking about family history, their own mental health history, to see what treatment goals, what we're going to be working on in session, what is they're looking for. Yeah. Um, and it, it takes about an hour, depending on the program you're in. Um, but usually, if it's for insurance, it's a phase, it takes about an hour, and then we schedule another appointment. It's, it's, it's just a way to learn about each other and see if it's a good fit and go from there. It's very painless. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, and I like to say we have some amazing success stories, uh, especially, you know, across Metro, but certainly within the behavioral health department. Um, you know, I got to say, you guys have been absolute rock stars through everything that is going on. We have helped, you guys have helped, and the entire team has helped a lot of people. It is a, as we all know, it is a tough, tough, tough time, I think right now for a lot of people. And I also uh, don't want to forget to say that, you know, obviously um, I think, you know, as a health center, people think they come in, but we actually do a lot of this stuff via telehealth which is very, very easily and accessible. How has your experience been with doing telehealth therapy, Carolyn? Um, it's been something to get used to. <laughs> yeah, everybody um, at the, yeah, at the beginning, it was it was difficult, just like it was for clients. But now I think after doing this, what, since March, I think, or constantly, it's been it's become the norm. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to 
to be at your at the client's home and us at the office and just being safe and we still get they still get the same amount of time and, and effort and nothing really has changed just the fact that we're not face to face of course there's certain there's certain clients that um still prefer on face-to-face interaction and um if we're able to do that it's very rare um and they don't have access to a computer where they they can't do telehealth they're not gonna say hey no you can't come we're accommodating yeah Yeah, we're accommodating those those clients we're figuring out how we're, we're making sure people get help and i think that's the most important thing and one thing i i will say just from my experience in in understanding how successful telehealth has been for us i know it it's it's it is a it is a it's different for a lot of people it's very much like facetime i think for a lot of people if they've used it if you want to compare it to something mm-hmm. um, but one of the great thing is again it does really remove the barriers you know in certain ways you know if you can't quite uh, get to the office it, you know again it, it if if you're a little hesitant about what is this mental health and talking to a therapist it is sort of a way to dip your toe in the water a little makes it a little bit easier for people so it mm-hmm. does make things um accessible and i think that's that's really good that we've been able to open that up for folks yeah i, uh, I think well with telehealth um with telehealth it's i think it's worked out very well when it comes to my especially initial assessment and follow-ups um with the telehealth, people are in the comfort of their own home, so it really reduces a lot of anxiety in coming in to meet with me. Um, it, it, so I think it's, it's a very relaxing atmosphere for the patient just to get started, and, and, and patients have also uh, expressed that as well. So it makes it sort of easier to just take that first step? Yes, absolutely. Open up, your, open up your computer or uh, your telephone and, and get crank it up. And of course, you know, it's secure, it's private. Uh, we're doing it over a proprietary network. So it's not like uh, you are doing it over FaceTime. It's, it's, it's uh, very, uh, it's safe to do, I guess, is what we want to say to people. Mm-hmm. Well, I really, really appreciate you guys taking a Friday night to join me. Um, I want to remind everyone that they can listen to Inclusivity and Beyond broadcast in their entirety. Uh, by searching Metro Inclusive Health on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. And if you're interested in supporting what we do for our community, you can text Metro to 44321 or visit us at metrotampabay.com to learn more about our services, including what we did talked about tonight. So I really appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much for joining. And until next time, remember to inclusivity and beyond. Have a great weekend. Thanks, guys. Bye. listening to Inclusivity and Beyond with Metro Inclusive Health, subjects that impact the health and wellness of our community. Want to hear us cover a subject in the future? Email us at lgbtq at metrotampabay.org. For sponsorship information, contact James K at metrotampabay.org.